and at the end of our music now, to think about our God that's ever almighty, will you please pray with me in that vein? Father, there isn't a stone that lays anywhere in the world that you haven't placed there, and there's not a heart that has been made and taking breath right now that you have not created for your purpose. And Lord, if they don't realize that, would you show them? And as we just came out of of probably, no, the most historically relevant time in history where you raised from the dead and gave us new life, a life that we couldn't fix on our own because the sin wasn't ours to have. Lord, continue to rebuild Rebuild the lives of people around here. Renew, transform, take dead and make it alive. And we're going to celebrate that today, Lord. Thank you for your love, the love that surpasses all knowledge and understanding. And for a God that is truly ever almighty, this church says amen. And all God's people join with me in saying amen. Please stay standing for the reading of God's word by Luke. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, preserving in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, my sweet son. I appreciate that. So as you're finding your seat, if you need a Bible, just from the onset, raise your hand, because you are going to need one. We're going to be in God's Word today. The Lord has a message, not just one that I know people have prayed that I would be willing and able to give and receive, but there are people here today I know for a fact that are going to dine on God's truth. Let's just say it that way. Before I begin, I want to tell you a story. So in 2006, I was on patrol, and I was working on a unit that was, we were called the Hot Tone Squad, because there was only one unit in the city that was working from 4 p.m. until 2 a.m., and our whole mission on that squad was every time an emergency sound happened, we call them hot tones. It's like, Deed! and everybody stops. And right now, every cop in the room went like that, right? Every time that happened, my squad, the squad of six of us, would just go. It didn't matter anywhere in the city. And we worked 4 p.m. until 2 a.m. And so we saw, as you can probably imagine, a lot of really interesting things, emergencies and, and just crisis situations. In one such situation, myself and a couple of the guys, we were down in, in our south part of the city, and this violent family fight erupts, and it comes out as a hot tone where um, there are possibly weapons involved. And so me and the team, we end up showing up, and we hear screaming and yelling, and we, we see that there's this active fight going on. And so we make entry. There's three of us. And I'm leading the charge to the door, and immediately my eyes take in this sight. My eyes take in the sight 
that there is a man who is headlocked on a woman and he's just striking her repeatedly. There's blood everywhere and my eyes move to the right and I see that there's a, a young man, probably 15, 16, who is just covered in blood and he looks like he's passed out on the floor. And my team and I, you can imagine, we didn't stop moving. We kept moving. We engaged this person and used, where's my lieutenant? Using the force reasonable and necessary to effect the arrest, we were able to subdue the threat and get this guy into custody. Uh, it was probably the, the whole time span was about 10 seconds. So when things happen like that, they happen quickly and they happen for a purpose. And we were very driven. I was with two guys on the SWAT team. I'm not on the SWAT team. These guys were extremely driven. And like I said, we helped this guy into custody. And so, of course, as soon as it was done, kicking down doors and, and having all the, the fun stuff, they said, okay, Jeff, this is yours to go, and, and you, you can go book this guy. So they went off to deal with the next hot tone. So here I am down at the booking line. Now, it was Friday night. I remember that because we were doing DUI enforcement, a lot of different things happening. And the booking line, as we call it, there are six stations. And we looked through this little cage area. There's a small holding cell before the people we arrest get put back into the jail. And so the booking line was packed. So the guy's waiting, and my turn comes up, I get my computer, and this guy, you know, was, was nursing the, the wounds that happened because of the conflict that he gave the officers on the arrest. And I'm just sitting there, and I am not happy. I, I'm not happy for a bunch of reasons, because I hear these hot tones going off, I hear DUI enforcement, and I'm thinking, I need to be there, that's my job. I'm the leader of this group. We need to go. And this guy just sitting here, and I, I mean, you had a bunch of hard-charging dudes on this line, and everybody just kind of, you know, jawing back and forth with their prisoner. And here I am, just quiet. And if you know anything about me, you know that I'm not usually quiet. So then people are looking over going, what's wrong with him? And they could just, I'm putting off this vibe of, just leave me alone. I don't want any part of this right now, right? And so here I am booking this guy. And I feel the Lord saying to me, you got to tell him about me. And I'm like, I, I'm not, I go, Phew. So verbally, all they hear is, Phew. So now everybody in the line's thinking, oh, he's just ticked. The guy's really ticked. Now, you should know something about this time in my life. I had been saved for about a year. In fact, it's right around this time in April 2005 that the Lord used the birth of my four-month-old son, Ethan, who's now not four months, to bring me to his throne. And then my wife was saved in April in 2006. So, again, this is the summer. So she was saved. I was saved. We were really on fire, and I was really happy to be a police officer, and I had just been into, like, a super big thing of violence, so I was really just saved and just really, really happy, except when I hear the Lord talking. So now I hear the Lord talking again. He's like, this is a child of mine. I remember not hearing audibly, but thinking, okay, so he's a child of yours. Like, Great. He's a child that has a, you know, a bad attitude. He needs to go to jail for his crimes, and he's going to jail. I'm going to put him in jail. And I'm having this argument with myself, and the booking line is doing their whole thing. And finally, you know, it, it started, like, I started itching on my ears. It was weird. And I don't like that. So here I am, just scratching my ears, right? And people now are starting to look at me like, what do you got, scabies or some prisoner thing? Like, what are you doing, man? And so people are kind of doing this, and they're moving away from me as I'm typing. And I just, and I, I started, like, pacing at the computer doing this whole thing. And people are like, he's saying kumbaya to himself. I don't know what he's doing. They knew I was saved, so they're kind of like, he's in his own little world, right? Well, sure enough, I hear the Lord saying, you need to tell him about me. And I actually said this. I said, no. Like that. 
And the other five people in the booking line went, and everybody literally stopped. And they went, no what? Just whatever, man, leave me alone. So they're like, okay, Dudakis is on one again today, so we'll just leave him alone, right? So I look at this guy who's crying, sitting down in the cell, and I go, hey, stand up. This is the time in the interaction where I get his name, date of birth, and things that I need for the booking. And I looked at him, and I remember saying this. What if I told you that you could get in the spot where you would never have to be in jail again, and you'd never have to be arrested again? And he just looked at me. Now, this is a guy, by the way, who was in law enforcement. This is a guy from another agency that was in law enforcement that was in a domestic violence situation. And I knew, as you could probably guess, his career was going to be over. And I looked at him, and I said that. And he looked at me, and he says, well, what do you mean? And I don't even know what happened, but all I saw was my wife's face. on our, on our the When she was saved, it was a, a PD Bible study, and she looked down, and, and her face got all red, and the chaplain was just looking right at her, old chaplain Darlene, and said, Miss Brandy, what's on your heart? And I looked at this guy, and I said, what's on your heart? And he goes, I want to be free. So now I'm in this, this struggle, right? But it didn't matter because God had already taken control of the whole situation. And I spent the next hour one-fingering the keyboard to slow down and sharing the gospel of grace with this man to the point where I took my business card out, which has my PD phone number on it. I wrote my personal cell number on it, and I put it in his property bag. I said, when you're out, brother, come find me. Because in that moment, he accepted Christ in the jail cell. Yeah, praise God. Glory to God on that, because you hear my testimony. I was the one who was resisting that the whole time. But you know what the one thing I can't resist? One thing I couldn't resist, the one thing you can't resist, and it's the one thing that Jesus came for was love. That's what we can't resist. And that's a real story. And I had communicated with that guy for a couple weeks after, and then our paths went a different way. But it taught me a lot. And in that moment, when everybody heard me talking, they were quiet. They were doing their thing, and I was just preaching God's word. Because I didn't care if there was a consequence to that in that moment. Because there was someone in front of me, there was a person in front of me that needed to hear the truth. That love does conquer all. That there is a God that loves you as if you were the only person that he ever loved ever. Do you get that? So that's where we're going to be today. We're going to be talking about love. And as you get into your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Today's message I've titled, How is the Gospel Really Real in Our Relationships? How is the Gospel Really Real in Our Relationships? And I'm going to unpack it through three different training truths. And in your Bible, we're going to be in Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. And these training truths are by planting your feet in gospel living, by offering the gospel over vindication, and by dying to yourself to give gospel life for others. So this is the first message coming back out of a four-week resurrection season where we got to focus on the path to the cross and what Jesus died for our sins. So I want to take a little bit of time just to recap where we've been. And let me, let me highlight some key points from Romans 1 through 11. I'm going to catch us up to where we're going to be today, okay? So you can follow along. Make some notes if you want because I'm going to go fast through this stuff. But I want to talk about how Paul describes this journey in Romans 1 through 11. Romans 1.21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, 
But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Then in Romans 3, 10 through 11, there is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. We continue Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace, which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Romans 8.1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 10, 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. In the message prior, we heard Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, that message that Doug preached right before resurrection continued into a way that Paul described. So that all that part, 1 through 11, was Paul prescribing behavior. And Paul is starting now to transition into describing. And if you look at the summary of Romans 12, 1 through 8, everyone who's saved by God is gifted in some way. We talked about that. And that gifting is to be used to glorify God as a body together. And that's, that's the preparation of the body of Christ. That leads us to, again, our training thought for the day. How is the gospel really real in relationships? So I want to continue setting our minds where we need to be. So turn your, your, your note page over and look at your first talking point. As we walk into this, I want to ask you, how have you seen the gospel be real to you through the resurrection season? How have you seen examples of the gospel be real to you through the resurrection season? I have Mo say crazy, which means he wants to say something. Go ahead, tell us, Mo. So for those of you who couldn't hear, Mo was saying, he, every time he thinks about where he's at today, he thinks about the day he was truly saved. First, from being buried under the Twin Towers on 9-11. And certainly, if you know his story, you know that for 16 years, in a, in, a, in a net of addiction and problems, the Lord used all that to bring him right here, right here. So I could go on a whole other sermon about how dare we look at our circumstances and say, oh, I'm so sad about the way things went. Really? If you're sitting here saved, you need to say amen. amen. Because God loves you enough to save you. And your path that you had, the person you were before, is not the person you are now. So that's certainly something that shows up. Anybody else? How have you seen the gospel? Yeah, Audra. Hmm. That's wonderful. What Audra was recapping was that there's just been a truth. 
a plain truth working through our church that if we hear the gospel, there doesn't need to be any trickery. We don't need to flash it up. We need to just give people Jesus. I, I remember listening years ago, and it was funny because Doug Troyer was, he had just left uh, Calvary, and he was moving over to West Valley, West Valley, but I was working off-duty at Calvary, and I heard Ann Graham Lotz. For those of you who know who that is, she was given the, just give me Jesus. And she, and she tells this passionate recount of, just give me Jesus. Just give him Jesus. Right? How are they to know if no one preaches it? It doesn't say preach it with, with a flurry and preach it with this way and that way. Just give them Jesus. So that's, that's beautiful. So as we, as we think about how the gospel has moved through the resurrection season, it is literally a continuation from that Romans message, that Romans message that we are gifted in a certain way and we see the, the, the revealing of the gift through the cross of Christ. And so today, to draw us back into this thought, we're going to be moving through these three training truths. And the first training truth, I'm highlighting that the gospel is made really real in relationships by planting your feet in gospel living. So read with me or follow along with me as I read verses 9 through 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. And so this section, Paul starts off by, by just putting us right in a position of love. He even says, look in, in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. If, if you read the way the structure of this text is flowing, that is his topic sentence. For you kids in English, that's a topic sentence. So everything after this is going to explain that one sentence. Let love be without hypocrisy. It's not a suggestion. It's not if you have time. He's telling you, let love be without hypocrisy. And so remember how chapter 12 starts. Even in verse 3, Though the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than you ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith, and that faith is not to be used to puff yourself up or to put you in a position where we are different than other people because outside of the love and grace of Jesus Christ, we all have the same problem that we can't overcome on our own, right? And that sin problem is real, and we don't actually move ourselves from it. God does. And the sacrifice of Christ and his love, that's the key. And, and Paul moves into that in verse 10. Take a look at the text. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And I love during our prayer time, uh, shades of this came out. Christian actually even prayed that. And I was smiling thinking, man, I didn't even set this up. But Christian is already moving to see that that's the key of this whole section. Verses 9 through 21, the key of this whole section is going to be verse 10. Devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another. Our love for God gets to be the gospel highlight for other people. So I've heard it said before that, you know, let, let your worst day be someone's table of contents to get through their pain. I'm like, wow. And sometimes I think to myself, I don't know if you're this way, that maybe that's going to be a pretty short book, right? Sometimes you think to yourself, war and peace isn't as long as some of the struggles that I've been through in my table of contents, and then you always hear about something else. Now, are you, I don't know if you're aware of this, 
And this is certainly something that our Lord has sovereignty over. I just want to bring this up. When you think about the, the, the problems in our society that are all sin-based, everything is. You look at 163 mass casualty incidents since January 1st in our country. Were you aware of that? 163. I think that's more than the days that we've actually been through in this year so far. And yet there's a God, though, in his word, the promised redemption of his word that promises love will conquer all. Paul demonstrates his servant leadership to show this concept, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And so he reminds us that we must love God so much that serving ourselves is completely unheard of. And he actually wrote about this in Philippians. If you want to make a note, you don't need to turn there now, but Philippians 2, 1 through 4, just has a restate from Paul. Listen to this. He says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, he writes, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, listen, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. So verses 9 and 10 already set the stage for where Paul's going to go as he now is prescribing a way to act. Verse 11 through 13, it really begins out to address the how. How are we going to affirm our position as Christians in light of how we interact with other people? So verses 11 through 13. Now, if you, if you go back... The key verse, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. Okay, well, how do you do that, Paul? Well, let's read. Verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. You know, I wonder if Paul, when he wrote this, was inspired to remember everything that wasn't done for him. Everything that wasn't done as Paul journeyed across the landscape that he had given to him. He, was he given hospitality? Were his needs taken care of? If you, if you read the, the whole New Testament, you see glimpses of how Paul went from town to town. And he talks about making tents was his profession. Just so he could not indebt himself to other people and find himself a charity case. He wanted to earn his own way. He wanted to share the magnificence of the glory of Jesus Christ and his transformation story. And through all of it, if you remember, right, if you remember in uh, 2 Corinthians, he talks about, I was shipwrecked. I was at sea. I was given 39 lashes five times. I was hungry. I was sick. I was cold. And apart from all of that, he had the concern and the burden weighing on him of the people, the brotherly love of the saints in the church of Christ, that he was a minister of the gospel to give. So that's amazing to me. And I wonder, as he's writing, as he's penning these words, 11 through 13, if the Holy Spirit's like, and this, forgive. And this, forgive. And this love covers that. And this love covers that. I'll tell you what. Outside of Christ, there is no more powerful influence in the New Testament that we see than the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, by all accounts, was not like, the Old Testament king. Remember, remember King Saul before David? He was a head above. He was a man's man. He was a warrior. He was handsome. He was the one that the people said, yeah, that's the guy we can see being king. This is not Paul. Paul's the guy who is small in stature, diminutive. 
He's nothing to look at. Pictures of him show him old, hunchy, right? Walking. Can you imagine catching, though, his eye and having him look with the power of Christ at you and to see your soul? That man, that man, I'm telling you right now, you put a flashlight down and have it stream straight up, it makes no sound. But in a dark room, everybody sees it. Everybody sees the loudness of a flashlight in a dark room. And it is amazing to me. And so on that thought, turn your notes over. I want to go to our second talking point. In our second talking point, I want to invite you to take a look for a minute at that list. Verses 11 through 13. Think about the things that you can start doing differently to invite the gospel into encounters with people. Now, if you look at that, you think to yourself, okay, well, what does 11 through 13 have to do with that? Well, I just explained to you, how can Paul, who wrote those verses, after dealing with all the adversity and remembering what was going on in his mind and heart, how can he help people invite uh, the gospel to their lives? Well, it's because of that. He recognizes who he was, how far he came. Do you. And here's my encouragement. I encourage you, set this as a weekly reminder. If you know that this is a way that you can be stronger and give people Jesus, set it as a reminder. Some people have their phones, some people have calendar reminders and email. You can do something, but to do nothing puts you as, as uh, Michael Savage would call us, the, the sheeple, going, meh, right? Just lead us along, doing whatever we want to do. We have an opportunity to put feet to the heart of Christ, and that gospel is real. So don't let this time pass. Look at these verses, 11 through 13, and in your mind, figure out, write down one thing. Maybe it's a couple things. Maybe it's someone's face that you're seeing right now that you can really get in their lives with. Our training thought is, how is the gospel really real in our relationships? Well, first, we know it's real by planting our feet in gospel living. And second, by offering the gospel over vindication. So moving into verses 14 through 18, follow along with me as I read. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible... So far, it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. So hearing that, and knowing that we want to pursue the gospel over vindication. By the way, what, somebody tell me what vindication means. I like it. I like Scott's definition. Being told that you're right. Knowing that you're right. Knowing that something happened, but I, we've made it clear. It's clear now. We're right. We are right. I want to think about this for a second. Tell me some of the, the type A professions that you can think of in the world. Type A people. What are some of the professions that you can think of? What's that? I guess there are aggressive accountants. Okay, sure. I'll, I'll, my wife's like, yes, she's a retired accountant. What else? Okay, what's that? Lawyers, aggressive, type A. Sales, heard Don say over here. Police. Fire, military, what else? First line, first line medical, okay? People that you think of, okay, we, these are, 
it is funny, Tom said that lawyers, if you go to law school, if there are any lawyers in the room, bless your heart, because the last time you probably saw a good night's sleep was about two years prior to law school. So I, I, I take my hat off to that, but I will tell you right now, if, if you were to come up against any of these type A people in a conflict, how does that usually go? Well, I'll tell you how it usually goes. The type A person is going to win. And even if they lose, like we don't have a good time admitting that we lose, right? So if, if somebody else insults us, if somebody else provokes us, if somebody else takes a, a type A person to task on something that we're doing that's inappropriate, how do you think type A people respond? You think we respond with grace and truth? You can say no. That, Chloe, no! <laughs> right. I'm almost angry now thinking about times when people have done this in my life. And you see examples of this with these type A people. Okay? Type A people win. I'm a winner. This is what I do. Okay. Is that what's being talked about here? It's not. When type A people respond with more intensity than was given back to them, how does it work out? Well, let me tell you how it works out. Horribly. There's pain. There's sin. In fact, the type A people that indulge their anger, and I've stood in front of y'all and told you that anger is a big trigger for me. It always leads to sin, and the sin has a consequence, and the sin carries a price that you think you're willing to bear, but you can't. That's why you need a Savior, right? And it is that love that clears that sin. So how, how does Paul, even in this section of Scripture, talk about the gospel providing the necessary payback? How does Paul talk about it? Well, look at, look at verse 14. Ready? Bless. Don't persecute or curse. I should probably just stop there. Guess what? I'm going to win. The story I told up front about that guy who's in the jail cell. Oh, I won. We, we won. There's no doubt we won. My name's on the booking form. I won. But did I? And instead of getting mad at that guy, the Lord turned my heart into something different. Verse 16. Be of the same mind with your brother. We, we need to look for the helping hands, both reaching down and have enough humility to reach up. We're supposed to be the same mind. We can't trust our own sense of wisdom. I love it. I, I just think it's so funny when people walk along and, and you know, like, People that have never done something before rely upon their friend group to tell them how to navigate that situation. Don't you love that? Parents. Bet your kids never do anything like that, right? Where you look at our kids and go, we shouldn't do that. And they go, I'm going to do this because my also not experienced friend was the one person that I trust most in life. Okay? You like... We just go, okay, we can't trust our own wisdom. We already know we can't trust our own wisdom because guess what? If we could have trusted our own wisdom, we wouldn't need a Savior because we wouldn't have walked through sin, even imputed as it was, okay? So we continue, and Paul writes in verse 17, never pay back evil. He's highlighting that we should push the gospel truth for what's right for all men. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your definition of evil is. Now, in the world that I live in, I see a very visceral, very real definition of evil. When I was a homicide detective, I would interview these people that would kill other people and just, like, talk about it as if it was describing their day at the zoo. And it was, it was, it was hard. It was weird because that's real evil that I'm seeing there. But it's no less evil to be callous in the way that you treat your spouse. And you know what? It's no less evil 
by giving constant criticism to your children. It's no less evil in God's eyes. You have to get that. And so how does Paul say to deal with that? He says, don't repay back evil with evil. Don't become the evil that you yourself say, I need Jesus to fight. How does that make sense? So Paul knows that. In verse 18, he says, look, this is what allows you to find peace. If you do these things, you can find peace. Peace, not vindication. Peace, not vindication. And I would submit to you that Paul is going to grab onto this truth because what he knows about, remember, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a learned guy before the Lord took him as who he was and make him Paul. And I would bet he's remembering times in the Old Testament. Make a note of this section, 1 Samuel 27, verses 8 through 11. For the sake of time, you know what, I'm going to spend time because I think it really unpacks this point well. I want to read this to you. Now this is about King David. This is what Paul remembers. And it reads, Now David and his men went up and raided the Gershites and the Gizrites and the Amalekites, for they were the inhabitants of the land from ancient times, as you come to sure, even as far as the land of Egypt. David attacked the land and did not leave a man or woman alive. He took away the sheep, the cattle, the donkeys, the camels, and the clothing. Then he returned and came to Ashish. And Ashish said to him, Where have you made a raid today? And David said, Against the Negev of Judah and against the Negev of the Jerahimalites and against the Negev of the Kenites. David did not leave a man or woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, otherwise they'll tell about us, saying, so has David done so-and-so and been his practice all the time that he lived in the country of the Philistines? I know that Paul was looking back going, here is the man that was after God's own heart, killing men, women, and children as he was on the run for 14 months, hiding from Saul. He was committing all sorts of atrocities. This is the man that should have remembered, don't pay back evil with evil. And so Paul writes this, don't do what he did. But he doesn't stay there. He doesn't say, David is my God. He says, well, look what Jesus did. Jesus, don't pay back evil for evil. And so because I love my Jesus and he loves me, I'm going to tell you that. I know that was a driver. You think Paul doesn't also tie into who he was in the New Testament? You guys remember what happened in Acts 7 at the end with Stephen being stoned? Because if you don't, I'm going to read you Acts 7, 58. When they had driven him out of the city, these are the, the leaders that when Stephen tuned them up about the gospel and about the real power and the real ruler, Jesus, whom they killed, this is what he says, they began stoning him and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. He was there. He watched all of this happen. He was excited. How do I know that? Because in verse Three of chapter 8, it says, But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Do you think that this man now, renamed by Christ as Paul, as Saul, did he go to somebody and say, If you have a minute, would you mind coming over here? I'd really like to ravage. Do you think it was something like, Hey, real quick, don't look. Boom, grab him. Or do you think it was him which history actually shows, kicking in doors of houses, the middle of the day and night, putting his hands on people, physically abusing the men so the women and family would see that in front of them and say, don't you ever come up against me. Let's go in chains. That's Saul. You think Paul doesn't remember who he was? He writes, I'm the chief of sinners, when he writes his letter to Timothy. Timothy. 
We need the reminder in Scripture. We need the Old Testament and New Testament that perfectly harmonize together to show that the power of a changed life is the daily example. It's that fight, that daily example, that's the power of vindication. That's the gospel. So turn your notes over. I want to go to the third talking point. And you can read the first part. It says, don't answer out loud. So do not answer out loud. Just take a minute. And I want you to think about this. What victories, what victories do you have to let go of to be the unhidden light of the gospel to others? What victories do you have to let go of to be the unhidden light of the gospel to others? I do want you to think about this. You can, you can write it down, make a note. We're going to need this in preparation for communion later. Okay? So it's important. As we move through this area that how do we see the gospel really real in relationships? Well, first we talked about planting our feet in gospel living. And second, we just covered offering the gospel over vindication. And lastly, I would submit to you that this third training truth, we can make the gospel really real by dying to self to give gospel life to others. Dying to self to give gospel life for others. Verses 19 through 20, 21, follow along with me. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome, or do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, if you, you bought into this so far, and if you remember the first part of the section in verse 10, right? Be, vo- be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. If that's true, then loving people, serving them, and acting according to the gospel is the way to let the gospel be that light over evil against you and them, frankly, right? When we can be the example because we believe that preferring people in love is exactly what our Savior did to us, I, my family, you, if you're saved, you were, guess what? Nothing to look at prior. You drew no attention from the Lord in a positive way, and yet he still chose to grab you and save you. And so our example, preferring other people in love, is a very real thing. So I want to invite the music team to come up and get the communion stuff started as we're kind of transition now to the end of our time. Paul, again, is going to highlight this point. Don't be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. Paul highlights the point as he's again remembering both the harmony from the Old Testament and New Testament. So I'm going to read you a couple different verses. You can make notes of these. 2 Kings 6.22, he answered. This is the king of Israel taking on Elisha. If you remember the scene, he's, he's trying to track him down. He's going to kill him. Right? And his servant comes in and says, Master, you need to see the forces arrayed against us. In 2 Kings 6.22, he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those you've taken captive with your sword or with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And then in Proverbs 25, verses 21 through 22, If your enemy is hungry, this is what is, is being brought in. Give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. And Jesus himself, speaking in Matthew 5.44, recounts, But I say to you, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. 
You have to give up your own way, people. You have to give up getting even. You have to give up. I have to give up winning. I have to give up looking at the person saying, oh, you know what? He's going to get one over on me. Even yesterday's reading in John, Jesus tunes up his disciple and said, if, if I choose to keep him until I come back, what is it to you? You follow me. And if you are going to walk as a worthy Christian following Jesus Christ, you better walk in a posture of love. In love, we support one another. In love, we teach people. There's no getting even, right? We do nothing to get even. God is the judge of all. And Jesus is the one who wins. And we got to see that celebration last week, right? Once we remove unhealthy living with one another, we let gospel living connect us. And that's the point today. We can make the gospel really real in our relationships by letting gospel love connect us. This is completely different even when people on different sides of the coin are unified in one another. Now, there's a picture that comes up on the screen here I want you to see. I don't know if you recognize who that guy is. One of them's me. The one in the uniform's me, right? The second guy is a guy that used to come to church here. And at this time, the, it says, ex-con pays a forward to Glendo police officer who changed his life. I had a chance to encounter this man. This is about two and a half years prior. And as our paths encountered, as we encounter each other in a professional context, um, I had a chance to see this man. And the thing I expected to see is not what God wanted me to see. And so I just gave it over to the Lord. And I kept going and talking to this guy. He lived in my area. I kept meeting with him and talking with him, got to know his family. And pretty soon I'd meet with him every week. And I'm just sharing love and example and sharing Christ, sharing my family. Pretty soon, we're so connected, he's calling me on days off. We're so connected that my wife and I host him and his family over at our house for dinner numerous times. We're so connected that on the birth of his second son, I was the first person other than his family to hold his kid. And at some point, he ends up contacting the news media and he ends up walking into my briefing room in the police station, which was a big surprise for a whole bunch of people, especially when he's followed by a camera crew. And in that moment, he talked with the camera crew about how this one man changed his life from darkness to light. And then we got to say, but it wasn't us, it was the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is one of a million stories that all of you have. All of you have in your hearts through the time that Jesus has, has impacted and collided with your soul. You have experiences. In fact, I can prove it. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. Somebody told you to show up here. Somebody shared life. And it's a life that was bought by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How is the gospel really real in our relationships, people? We believe that by planting your feet in gospel living and by offering the gospel or vindication and dying to yourself to give gospel life for others, we put aside the things that we most expect to see and we can now be free to see what Jesus died for us to see. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, in this moment, in this time, I just lift up these people. I pray, Lord, that as, as Paul recounts your word, to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference in honor, that we would consider first ourselves, Lord, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people of your own possession who have absorbed the royalty of the high calling that comes with being a son or daughter of the king of everything. And Lord, I reject the premise that, 
that 85% of our self-talk is negative, I reject that because if even one thought of love of Jesus Christ comes in, that flashlight overcomes the darkness. And Lord, I reject that. And I accept your love. And Lord, I, I pray for the people that once they get firm in their foundation, that they look at the person next to them. They look at their spouse, their kids, they look at their family, and we start preferring people. We, if we love one another, why do we do these things that we, we say we wouldn't do to our family? Let's take a stand and be an example daily. Lord, give us the, the power that only you can give to show that there's a different way. There's just a different way to show love to our family. And then that family becomes one of the most powerful weapons for the gospel that this world's ever seen. That there are families and people that are changing entire courses of history because the name of Jesus reigns supreme. And Lord, my constant prayer is that we would have a chance to be useful and that we'd be impactful for the kingdom. Lord, it's your kingdom. It's your show. You're the conductor. It's your train driving down the tracks. May we be men, women, and children that stand ready to plunder hell and populate heaven because, man, we need the help because we trust Jesus Christ to bring the banner of victory in front of everyone. Lord, I stand assured and confident as a minister of your gospel in this moment and in this place and all God's people said, amen.